Um, I'll give you a second to find Jonah 4 um, before we read together. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you, a gracious and compassionate, a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take me away from my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant, made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about that plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I am so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprung up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. Well, good evening, church. So good to see you all who are here, those on the live stream, in the foyer, in the hall, wherever you may be. It's wonderful. We're like a broad community, but united as one. It's a really wonderful thing. To commission Emily before was a wonderful joy for us as well, and we're going to dig into this passage in Jonah. It's a bit weird. I don't know if you that was read. It's a bit of a strange passage, uh, but there is so much in here that uh, God has to teach us. And so before we do, we've done a lot of praying tonight, but I'm going to pray again because it's important we keep coming to God, especially as we come to his word. Our good and our gracious, our compassionate God, we thank you for giving us your word. We pray tonight as we approach it, as we read this last chapter in your book of Jonah, that you teach us by your Holy Spirit, that you will speak through me clearly, and that you will shape us more into likeness of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, have any of you ever needed surgery? Ever had, the, had that joy? Gio's over there, he's keen, he loves it. But you, know, you need surgery when something has gone wrong, right? When something has happened to you, because it's quite drastic, you need surgery. Like, I've, I've only had my wisdom teeth out, which wasn't a great joy. Gio's was saying before, he's had his shoulder. Um, but we, it could be a whole range of things which mean that we need surgery. The doctor tells us we need it. We might not think that we do, um, but they say it's a good idea and we have to go about it. There's a problem and it needs to be removed or it needs to be fixed. That's the idea of a surgery. Now, if you have that problem, whatever it may be, but you choose to ignore it, you choose to not take the doctor's advice or you choose to think it's not a thing, that doesn't take away from the fact that there's still a problem, right? It just means that you're ignoring it or you don't think it's there. That's kind of Jonah's predicament. He's got a problem that needs to be removed. It needs to be fixed. He doesn't necessarily know, but he's in need of some spiritual surgery. And that's what we're approaching as we come to Jonah chapter 4. 
And as I was saying, it, it's a bit of a strange passage. Uh, it's also kind of one that's the forgotten chapter of Jonah. Right? When you kind of understand Jonah for like the first time or you think about it, you're familiar with the, him running away and the sea and the fish and maybe even going back to Jonah and preaching. But we're less kind of familiar with what happens after that. Chapter 4, it is a bit of an enigma. Not that well known, but it actually gives us kind of um, the climax or the big theme that's going on in the book. But it is strange. Because if we've just read chapter 3, what are we expecting? Jonah, he's followed God's commission to him to go to Nineveh to preach God's message. And we're expecting, because the, the Ninevites repent and God relents from his judgment, we're expecting a pretty positive response from Jonah, right? Like this, we should expect this is like the climax, and chapter 4 should be one verse that reads, And the prophet Jonah saw the mercy of God for the Ninevites and rejoiced because they turned from their evil and were saved. Right? That's what we're expecting to read. But instead, this is what we get. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. Now, it is like an inside-out anger man like, has come and taken over controls, right? That, that's what's going on for Jonah. He is saying, God, are you kidding me? Mercy for these people. Like, he's angry. He is seething. These people deserve judgment. And you're having mercy on them. God, I knew you were this kind of compassionate God. This is just like you. Of course you would do this. He says, verse 2, isn't this what I said, Lord? When I was still at home, this is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish, I knew you were a compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who, who relents from sending calamity. Jonah's like, God, I told you so. I knew this was going to happen. You are the type of God who gives mercy to even the most evil people who relent. And you notice his big complaint? His big complaint is that it is God. He's angry with God. He's, he's angry with God's actions. He's so angry with God's actions that he wants to die. He actually says it a bunch of times, three in, in all, that he wants to die because of this. Jonah is saying, because God, you have done this, I no longer have meaning in my life. God, the way you've acted meant that I don't want to go on. I'm so angry. But what is, what's driving this anger? What, what is fueling this anger with the Jonah that he's going to respond this way. Now, last week when Ange was uh, sharing chapter 3 with us, he, he gave us a bit of insight in order to understand chapter 3 properly. But the Jonah, he, he hates the Ninevites. He hates them because they're, a, they're evil, they're violent, but they're, they're also a political enemy. They're a national enemy uh, to Israel. And that's kind of the symptom of what's going on here. But I think tonight we want to dig a little bit deeper begin to kind of what is the core issue that is going on for Jonah here? What's underneath? And the first thing I want to suggest is that Jonah has a big kind of theological problem. He has an issue with understanding God, right? In the context of Scripture, and especially in the Old Testament, we see that God has mercy, He's loving, but He's also a God of justice that punishes evil. And when those two things come together, it kind of doesn't make sense. And Jonah is looking at this problem and going, God, you're not acting justly. This doesn't make sense. 
his problem is how can God be both loving and just and yet merciful to evil? It seems like a contradiction to him. He can't work it out. It's a theological kind of problem. But like with all theological problems, they play themselves out in our life, right? And the issue with Jonah here is he has a heart problem. He has a deep problem in his heart. He can accept mercy for himself, like we saw in chapter 2, in the fish, with the grace and the mercy, there was love beneath the waves, and he could receive that mercy with, from God. But when it comes to going to other people, he's angry. His heart is against the actions of God showing mercy to the violent and nationalistic enemy of Israel. His anger has revealed that there is something that's more important to him than God. There is something that's more important to, to Jonah than God. Because God's actions, actions, they cause him to anger, they cause him to revolt, to riot, so much so that he's willing to discard his life. His heart is clearly not aligned with the heart of God. He's still needing that grace to kind of permeate, to transform his heart. It's happened in part, but his heart is still callous. It still needs to be transformed. And even though he doesn't maybe realize it, he still needs that spiritual surgery. Now, friends, Jonah could have had any kind of issue, right? He, it could be a whole bunch of things. We see heaps of idolatry and these heart issues in the Bible. For Jonah, it's an issue of self-righteousness, of pride, and like a toxic national identity. And when God prods it, it's anger. Now, these exact issues might not be our issues. It might not be what, what your issue is. But like Jonah, we are all in need of some form of heart surgery. In some way, like our attitudes or our beliefs, our practices, they're not quite aligned with the heart of God. And by doing that, they're actually poisoning our soul. It could be anything, anything that we kind of hold more valuable than God, which gives us greater meaning than God. Like whether it's a love of money that turns to greed or a love of career that turns to obsession or a love of relationships which turns to lust or a political opinion that then turns into your identity, a love of video games which turns into apathy. There's a whole bunch of things. For Jonah, it was that his ethnic identity turned him to a toxic national identity which meant he hated others. But we are all like Jonah, in some way in need of that spiritual heart surgery. For Jonah, as I was saying before, the symptom of his heart problem is anger. That's the symptom that's coming out. What's the problem? The problem is he has a lack of compassion. That's what this chapter is all about. Jonah's lack of compassion and the fact that God is a God of compassion. That's what we see vividly displayed in this story. It's actually been the, the story of really all of Jonah in a way, because mercy is a key part of, of compassion. We've seen it from when Jonah left to then God sending the storm and the fish and then the, obviously the, the mercy and compassion that God has over the Ninevites. God is a God of compassion. Now, when we read this um, chapter, we kind of get a clear indication straight away, because when you look at your NIV, very kindly, it says Jonah's anger at the Lord's compassion. But as I was pointing out before, to give this a bit of meat, is Jonah is angry at God's character of compassion. That's what he brings up. 
and he actually quotes God's self-disclosed identity that he gives to Moses back in Exodus 34. That's what verse 2 was, what God says about himself, the graciousness, the compassionate, slow to anger, bounding in love, and all those things. In Jonah's interaction, or in God's interaction with Jonah, sorry, he is now going to graciously confront Jonah. He's going to graciously confront him to show him his lack of compassion and contrast it with God's heart of compassion. What is compassion? It's kind of a bit of a icky word in some ways. It can, can be a bit convoluted. But in the Bible, compassion is, in its basic sense, it's an emotion that expresses itself in action. It is that when we see a desperate need in a person and then go and act, you see it and you act. Specifically for God and his people, compassion means like having mercy, to weep, to get involved with people who need it, people who are desperate, people who need to be saved, both physically and certainly spiritually. Now, this passage doesn't give us a nice definition. The Old Testament really doesn't give us a nice definition of compassion, but we see it vividly displayed in, the, in a story. And I just love the way that God approaches Jonah here. You notice in verse 4, it says, oh, But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? Is it right for you to be angry? I was like a counselor, lovingly coming, helping him to see. Now, Jonah is clearly angry at him, but God is coming with compassion. Now, Jonah, he goes up into a hill when you have a look at verse 5. It says he goes out into the east. The east of Jonah is an elevated part of the world. And so the, the, the scene is Jonah's up on a hill. He's looking down in anger at the city which God is having mercy on. And then we read verse 6. God begins to act. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow over Jonah to give shade to his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. In Jonah's like vigil over the city in anger and despair, God provides a leafy plant. What is grace so gracious to Jonah, it seems, in this moment, relieving him from the elements. And you see here it says that God provided the leafy plant. In other words, God appointed that leafy plant to come about. It's the same thing that we've seen in chapter 1 and in chapter 2. We see it two times again, God acting in nature in order to interact with the human affairs. Now, for Jonah, um, he might be feeling a bit vindicated at this point, do you think? He's sitting up there on the hill, hating on this group, and now God is doing a gracious act. The leafy plant relieving him uh, from his distress. And it says that it made Jonah very happy. Now, if we were to read Hebrew, and I don't read Hebrew, but the smart people who do tell me, it's saying it's like he is deliriously happy. Deliriously happy. He's so joyful. We actually haven't read any of Jonah's joyful emotions throughout the whole chapter, the whole book. Not even when he was vomited out of the fish and had his salvation from the sea did he have this joyful emotion. But here he is having incredible joyful emotion about a plant. It's giving him joy. Then we read on, verse 7. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so he grew faint. 
He wanted to die. He said, it will be better for me to die than to live. The joy doesn't last very long, does it? God, he's now provided a worm to destroy the plant. And on top of that, it's a scorching east wind. Like This is the Middle East. We're in Australia. You imagine a really hot summer's day. You're parched. You're desperate for, for a drink. You don't have a hat. You're on a long walk. You get your water bottle. You drop it all over the ground, all that cool water. And you're just, dis- just in despair. You're hot. You're bothered. But on top of that, Jonah is feeling all those things and then hating what he is seeing. The delight of the shade of the plant is taken away. And his response is despair. And God comes to him again. Jonah, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Now, Jonah's response is almost a bit comical. He's like my darling daughter's. You know, yes, it is right for me to angry, be angry. You know, you've put me in this position. You know, it's your fault, God. Of course it's right. His response to seeing the city saved is the same as his response to a plant withering. City saved, plant withering, anger, despair. My life has no meaning. The plant, the worm and the wind are a lesson of compassion to Jonah. And this, this lesson is doing two things. It, it is exposing the heart of Jonah, which we've explored. And it's also showing his upside-down understanding of compassion. Because his heart is completely self-centered. And he doesn't have compassion for people. But he has compassion for a weedy plant. God has shown Jonah, you have the capacity for compassion but your compassion is for plants, not for souls. And so God calls him out and directly reveals his own heart in verses 10 through to 11. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprung up overnight and died. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. It's kind of getting to like the climax of the story. It is the end, but it is like a climax. God is showing I have that he has incredible compassion for the world. He has com- incredible compassion for the lost. That's what it means by the Ninevites who don't know their right hand from their left. It means that they don't know what is good, they don't know what is bad, they don't know what is right, what is wrong, what is left, what is right. They are spiritually lost. But unlike Jonah, God's heart isn't disgust. God's heart is not anger. God's heart is not you stupid people. God's heart is compassion. He weeps for them. He has mercy. He gets involved. He desires that they turn from their evil and find life. He desires and he acts with compassion. Jonah, you care for the weed. I care for people. And he's saying, Jonah, you should too. God has a heart for the lost. And in those final two verses, Jonah, God is saying to Jonah, the attitude that you're having to that plant, that you did nothing for, that you're weeping over, that your heart is broken for, should be the attitude that you have to the city 
Like, Jonah, you ought to be weeping over this city, grieving over them. They should be breaking your heart. Look at these people. What a mess, Jonah. What a mess that is before you. You shouldn't be despising or scorning them. You should be weeping over the city, getting involved. Now, does that remind you of anyone? That's Jesus. Jonah whines and weeps. Jonah whines, but Jesus weeps for the lost. Because when Jesus was on a hill overlooking the city of Jerusalem, that's what he did. There's this section in Luke where it says, As Jesus approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what will bring you peace, but you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And then previously when he's talking about Jerusalem, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, you who kill prophets and stone those sent to you. Basically, you don't know your left from your right. How often I've longed to gather you like children together, like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. That is the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus is to look over Jerusalem, weeping for them, having compassion, looking on the city that deserves judgment, but having compassion. If anybody has the right, perhaps, to be angry to despise them, it's probably Jesus. They're about to take him to the cross and crucify him. But he has compassion for the lost. And just like God the Father and Jesus demonstrate compassion, as his people, we should have compassion to the lot, for the lost too, for our city, for our neighbor Friends, we follow after the heart of God and directly we follow in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ in having compassion for our cities and neighborhoods, not to reject them, not to despise them, not to think they are less, not to think we are better, but to have a deep compassion, weeping, having mercy, desperately in desiring them to know Christ, to know the values of his kingdom, to experience his kingdom, to have our heart ache for their physical needs and even more so for their spiritual life. Because like the Ninevites, it was headed for judgment. Headed for an eternity of judgment. And we have the privilege and the joy of sharing the good news with people. That's what our sister Emily is doing, right? She's going to live and work in places where she's going to share the gospel in word and deed. Not because there's not work to do here. But there's next to no one doing it over there. And so she's going, having compassion over that city, neighborhoods, that she's going to live in. Now, in my preparation for, for sermons uh, and during the week, I've started in COVID going for walks around Peaky Park uh, next to where I live. And as I was thinking about this passage and not really realizing what was going on, I, I sat at the top of Peaky Park and I was sitting on this little like, bench thing, looking out, started to pray about this sermon what I would say, all these kind of things. And these are the people I'm looking at, the soccer fields, who I would say, that is my mission field. And it was just so clear to me, here I am, sitting on a hill. Do I have compassion for these people? Does my heart weep for them? Do I want to get involved? Do I care for them? How far am I willing to go? Friends, we all are called to have compassion for the lost people in our cities. And of course, it is going to take getting involved. It is going to take 
um, cost at some time, but we are called to be compassionate people who follow after the heart of God because he wants to have compassion for people too. But then that calls us back to the big theological question that Jenna has, doesn't it? Because if God is loving, if God is just, and yet compassionate to those who are evil, how can that be? Are you meant to turn our face from evil and be compassionate? How are these two things meant to come about? How can God be both good, but also eradicate, also punish evil? And the only answer to that question is in the person of Jesus. Only on the cross is the love and the justice of God perfectly intertwined and then displayed. Only on the cross can that theological problem that doesn't actually make sense come together and make sense. God's love and his justice combined for us. Because on that cross we have confidence to know and we witness that Jesus died on it to take our punishment for evil. And it was also the great demonstration of God's love for us. See, Jonah, he went outside the city to judge the city. But Jesus went outside the city, he went on a hill to be judged for the city, for the world. That is the God that we serve. That is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we come back to the story in Jonah, I think what we see, we see that kind of the hugeness of God's compassion for cities, but we also see the hugeness of God's compassion for the individual, for Jonah. Because we see how God relates to Jonah is both in love, but also in justice, trying to eradicate evil. We see God's love and compassion displayed in the individual. Because God is too compassionate for Jonah to destroy him or abandon him. But God is also too compassionate to Jonah, to just allow him to sit in his undisturbed, foolish ways of thinking. God will not allow evil to permeate his heart. He's going to act. There is so many wonderful themes of Jonah. You could preach this passage in a lot of ways, and there are so many layers which is rich in what God can teach us. I think what is clear here is that God has a compassion to transform Jonah that he has compassion to transform us as individuals. For Jonah, the storm, the fish, the mercy on the city, that counseling session with the plant, the worm, and the wind, they're all tools that God is using to reveal his heart, to show that it's callous, that it needs transformation. It needs to come more into the image of God. And so what's Jonah's response? You know, we don't have one. We don't know what Jonah's response was the book ends on like this cliffhanger completely unresolved just god's words directed at jonah but then when we look for jonah he's not there jonah fades into the background and as jonah fades into the background what is revealed is like a mirror looking back at us looking back at our souls the book of jonah is like a mirror into our heart and our soul and I loved this quote from Sinclair Ferguson, who's a theologian. And he says, The book of Jonah forces us to contemplate our personal destiny. It remains unfinished in order that we may provide our own conclusion. So you are Jonah, I am Jonah. Friends, I am Jonah, we are Jonah, you are Jonah. We might not be fleeing from ships, 
might not be swallowed by fishes. We might not be asking God to kill us. But as we read Jonah's heart to be excruciatingly displayed on the words of, his, of the page, all his idols and his self-righteousness, his lack of compassion, it caused us to assess our own heart. It causes us to reflect on the way, how are we reflecting God in our life? And yet all the while, the same God of love that we witness on this page is the same God of love that we experience today. And we have seen it even greater forms in the Lord Jesus Christ. Incredible love. And then God inviting us to partner with him in his mission to this world, to invite people to, to know who Jesus is, to alert him to his rule and reign, to invite him to his family, to pass from death into life. And through the Holy Spirit, applying the word of God to our life, through the experiences uh, which happen to us, God uses it to transform us. He transforms us into the likeness of Christ. But sometimes, like we see in the book of Jonah, sometimes that work is hard. It's unpleasant. That transforming work is like a chisel on our souls. Now, back in, my, in the first sermon, we were looking at Jonah chapter 1. I used the illustration of John Newton and how he, like Jonah, turned to God in, in the heart of a storm. And then when we did the second uh, sermon, we reflected on John Newton's hymn, Amazing Grace. And I've been reading a book by Tim Keller, which is called The Prodigal God. And if you want to read about Jonah in a, uh, a really faithful and uh, cultural way, that's a wonderful book, Prodigal God by Tim Keller. I've been certainly blessed by it. And he puts this hymn in there from John Newton. I want to read it to us because I think, as Tim Keller says, it really captures, it's like a vivid commentary in a sense of this theme of chapter 4. It doesn't have a title, this hymn. It's just 1779, uh, 1779. Um, but I'll read it for us. This is the words of John Newton. I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. Face of God mature or transform us into the likeness of Christ. T'was he who taught me thus to pray and he, I trust, has answered prayer. But it has been in a way as almost drove me to despair. I hoped in some favoured hour at once he'd answer my request and by his love's constraining power subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils in my heart and let the powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Ye more with his own hand, he seemed intent to aggravate my woe. Crossed all my fair designs I schemed, blasted my plants, and made me low. Lord, why is this? I trembly cried. Will you pursue your worm to death? This is the way, the Lord replied. I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ. From self and pride to set you free and break your schemes of earthly joy that you may find your all in me. Friends, as Christians, of course, we want to grow into the likeness of Christ. We want to know the blessing and the joy that it is to be known by him and to, to live for him in his service. 
And sometimes in God's transforming work, these inward trials happen where God blasts the false things from our life in order that we can have the Holy Spirit transform us. Indeed, the whole work is the Holy Spirit transforming our very souls. And of course, that process might not be pleasant, but if or when God decides to bear our hearts or take us on some kind of adventure that that pushes us to the nth degree, do not ever forget that God loves you. Do not ever forget that these trials are expressions of a love of like a father who disciplines their child. God is answering our prayers for grace and faith. So friends, please continue to lean into God's transforming work on our souls and our minds. Continue to be in prayer in his word, seeking his will. I think what we see in Jonah is just the, the beauty, the absolute beauty of God's love, of his compassion, his compassion to transform cities and his compassion to transform us as individuals. God, he needed to rebuke Jonah because Jonah had a lack of compassion. He preached to the city without loving the city. But friends, you and I are blessed. But no, that's not the way. We're blessed by the word of God. We are blessed by the Holy Spirit working in our life. So let us continue to go out to have compassion on our cities, on our neighborhoods, whether it's here or on the other side of the world. And our hope and our prayer is that people will come to experience the kingdom of God and hopefully they will come to know who the Lord Jesus is and enter into the kingdom of God. And all along, God will be transforming us by his grace into lightness of Christ. Let me pray for us. Our good and gracious God, thank you that you love us Thank you that you are a God of compassion, that you have compassion on cities, you have compassion on us as individuals. But Lord, we also know that you dealt with evil in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you punished evil in him. What was ours, Jesus paid the price for. And for that, we are so, so thankful. Please continue to renew our hearts and continue to spur our hearts with compassion for our cities and our neighborhoods. And we ask that many, many, many people come to experience your kingdom and come into your kingdom and know Jesus as their Lord. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.